Welcome back to Church in the Wild. Here we go, you guys. I want to do my second episode now during this COVID-19 pandemic crisis, and it's led me to think about a lot of things that I think would be quite helpful to share with you guys. These aren't new things that I'm thinking about. It's really just in this podcast, I've had to ponder what is going to be most helpful to talk about when and how and where, and this current global cultural moment has awakened a variety of topics that are very important to talk about, and I wasn't quite sure how to fit them in, and and now it's just becoming very, very apparent that these conversations are going to be needed, and um, and so here, here, here we go. Uh, this first conversation I want to talk about today is I, I want to talk about anxiety, and particularly I want to talk about the idea of global anxiety. This is a this is an idea that is quite prevalent, I think, in for sure Western culture, but I, I think it's increasingly more and more across the globe, at least in terms of places that I've traveled and people that I've interacted with. That anxiety as a as a mental health sort of category is something that is gaining a lot more attention, a lot more awareness. Um, that even the idea of what anxiety uh, feels like, those who are actually suffering from it, those who are actually feeling it more, you're, you're seeing people being released from a lot of the social stigmas that may have existed in the past to be able to freely talk about it. And so much of this is is really, really positive and good. Of course, with all things, there can be some pros and un- unfortunate and maybe even intentional negatives that can come from that whole conversation. And I think one of those is just simply the confusion around the term anxiety. And when someone says they wrestle with anxiety or they have anxiety, um, that could mean any number of different things. And when I use the word anxiety, I actually have a very specific framework in my mind, even a system of thought within um, psychology and theology that I'm thinking of. And so when you hear the word anxiety, um, you, you, you may or may not be um, hearing the same idea that I'm trying to convey, which is not to say that you're wrong about anxiety, but we're, we just need to be talking the same language and understand where we're all coming from on this. And I, I believe there is a conversation to be had about this idea of anxiety that I want to present that is actually going to speak to our current moment in a really powerful way. And there's actually a lot of implications of it. So I'm going to do a few different episodes on this both what anxiety is, causes of it, symptoms, what the symptoms of it look like. So you'll be able to diagnose it not only in yourself, your family, your church, um, your community, but also even your country. And on a global scale, you'll be able to, you'll be able to see it and it won't, it will not be hard to see. Um, Once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. And then probably most importantly, we're, we're absolutely going to have to talk about how do we address this? So how do we actually take on a non-anxious presence? How do, we, how do we combat the rising anxiety in our world right now? And what might that look like for women and men to step into a space um, to actually alleviate some of the anxiety rather than just simply contribute to it? So away we go. I want to talk about anxiety today. Now, as we begin to talk about anxiety... I just want to acknowledge on the front end that for all the people that would say that they wrestle with anxiety, that they have anxiety, maybe have an anxiety disorder, um, 
here's the real problem. We can all be talking about very, very different things like I mentioned. There are real things like anxiety disorders that people have that can be biochemically based, that can be rooted in past experiences and traumas and uh, in, in all kinds of ways. Um, all of us experience what most of us would label as anxiety on some level of, in our life when we have deadlines looming or maybe we have health conditions that have arisen or just family drama or problems that pop up. There's all kinds of circumstantial things that can induce fear or stress into our life. And it's easy to throw that into just the bucket of anxiety. Um, but to be fair to both the mental health community of professionals that I have a lot of interaction with and a lot of respect for, we are not talking about the same thing when you're stressed out about your finals coming up from someone genuinely wrestling with an anxiety disorder of some kind. Um, we're not talking about two entirely different subjects, but it's it's really not fair to include those as, a, as if they are one in the same conversation. And that is the unfortunate downside that I mentioned of the anxiety conversation is it's almost getting mushed together without these clear definitions or lines anywhere around it. Anxiety is a difficult thing to pinpoint, and there's actually a reason why it's a difficult thing to pinpoint, because it is by its very nature difficult to pinpoint, <laughs> if you could follow the logic of that. But anxiety is similar to fear. So all of us can maybe more readily understand the idea of fear, something that we're afraid of, something we feel threatened by, something that we feel like is going to rob us of something that we need. But fear has an object attached to it. So we could say, I have a fear of snakes, which I totally do, by the way, you guys. Oh, my goodness. I, um, I'm willing to go anywhere Jesus calls me, except if they have really bad snakes. <laughs> I think they're, And I'm even scared to say that out loud because I just... I worry a little bit that Jesus might actually do that to me. No, no shade to any of my African or Australian or Asian brothers or sisters. I know y'all got your cobras and your top 10 most venomous snakes just hanging around some of your backyards at times, and it's just part of your normal. But uh, I have an irrational fear of snakes. I am not proud of it, but it is what it is. But the nice thing about my fear of snakes is it's connected to an object that I can identify. I know if it's present or if it's not present. I see a snake and I'm afraid, but if I don't see a snake, I'm, I'm not afraid. And especially living in the Willamette Valley here in Oregon where I am, um, not a lot of snakes and certainly not venomous snakes. Um, so it's just not that huge of a deal to me. Um, just uh, I was uh, doing a workout not long ago, running some trails up near my house, and I was doing it with uh, some some friends of mine, uh, a few of which were ex-military, hardcore uh, Marine guys. And so I was doing a workout with them. And, uh, you know, like I've worked with athletes and high-level athletes, you know, at least at the Division One level of collegiate athletics in my life. And so I've, I've, I've even played with some pretty high-level professional athletes. Um, so I understand like the, you know, you want to show yourself to, to be competent and not a complete wimp in those situations. And so when I was with these ex-military guys, they were pretty hardcore. So it wasn't totally outside my box of like, yeah, I'm gearing up mentally. I'm going to put my best foot forward. And it was all going well until on these trails, as we were finishing with our, our run, it was a, it was a one mile run, uh, at the, just to finish off the workout and a snake darted across the path right in front of me, and I leapt. I was so exhausted. I mean, this was a long, hard, grueling workout. I was so exhausted, but somehow energy surged through my body. I leapt like three, four feet in the air. It felt like more. It was probably like one and a half feet. I'm just, I'll be real with you guys at this point. Um, my, my athleticism has diminished dramatically. I'm just happy to break a sweat, but I doubt I can leap over like a small like, dog at this point. That's just something that has left me. Um, I remember the days when I could dunk basketballs, but those, those days are just long, 
long gone. Anyway, I realize I'm just side trailing here, but uh, what else we got to do? We're all in some, some level of quarantine, so here we go. I leap just out of fear of this little garter snake, this little know-nothing, just non-lethal, just bothering nobody snake. And sh here's the worst part. I screamed with a high-pitched sound like my daughter, like my little seven-year-old girl. And in front of all my military buddies and friends, it just, let's just say that didn't go over well. And uh, so I, I was the butt of a lot of jokes for the rest of the afternoon, and there you had it. So that's the story of that, in case you were never wondering. I realized, but now, now you know. Me and snakes, not great. But here's the beautiful thing about a fear of snakes or a fear of heights or... Um, you know, whatever, whatever specific fear might be, if it has an object attached to it, I can manage that fear. I cannot go where snakes are. If I have a fear of heights, I can stay away from high places. Um, and depending on what the object of that fear is, I actually have a level of control over it. And so as debilitating as some fears can be, um, they still come with the built-in ability to be able to cope with them. Anxiety is different. Here's the whole point I was getting at to that whole long story. You probably got lost in and wonder where I was going, but here's the whole point of anxiety. It doesn't have an object attached to it, meaning I can be feeling a general sense of threat or fear, but I can't tell you exactly why or where it's coming from. I might feel kind of if, if, if the snake darting across the path sent me all the way up to a 10, you know, in terms of fear in that moment to where I would leap and scream like a little girl in front of my tough friends, like anxiety may only be at a three or four. But it's not like as soon as the snake was gone, my fear came back down and I was fine. I finished the run. I got laughed at. Move on with my life. But anxiety sticks with you. And if you could only just pinpoint what it is you're anxious about, you could actually maybe do something about it. You could realize the rationality or irrationality of it. You could manage that fear by choosing if or how or when to engage it or not. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got options at that point. But anxiety just exists as almost like this cloud we exist in. And every time we try to grab at it to figure out what it's made of or what its substance is or where it's coming from, we're just like grasping at the at the wind, grasping at the cloud and not able to actually hold on to something solid. And it's why anxiety can be in one sense so debilitating and exasperating because you can't say exactly why. Well, what, what are you anxious about? Uh, it's just the things, all the things or some of the things, but I'm not sure which things. And, and, that, and that can be a very, very difficult thing. And so that's the first part to discuss the idea of anxiety is that it doesn't necessarily have an object attached to it. Now, the question then becomes, well, what does anxiety do and what is it even there for? So this is where you can look at whether it's evolution or it's design, like that our, our beings have been preloaded with software to be able to detect threats around us and to be able to respond to them. So there's in one sense when anxiety is actually a really good thing. I don't, in, I don't have to know um, what exactly I'm afraid of to know that there might be some kind of threat around me. And it's, it's been human's ability to sense 
either real or perceived threats around us that causes us to go into a very specific type of living, usually referred to fight, flight, or freeze. That when we sense anxiety, when we, when we come into a place of anxiety, it's because that there is either some kind of threat that's either real or perceived, just because you feel anxiety doesn't mean there's actually anything to be anxious about, which is super hard. It, it could be imagined, it could be real, it could be some combination of the two, but what you're feeling, what you're feeling is the same regardless. And when you're feeling anxious regarding a threat, that's when your brain actually goes into a whole different mode. There's all different areas of your brain that are processed different areas of your life. You have areas of your brain for memory, you have areas of your brain for creative thinking or mental processing, but the area of your brain that handles anxiety is often referred to as like your lizard brain. It's your lower brain that just handles automatic responses to immediate threats. And it doesn't have a whole wide list of options available to it. When you go into your lower brain, when you're anxious and you go into your lower brain, you can only focus on like whatever threat or perceived threat is going on in your life. Now, anxiety can make that difficult because you may not know exactly what that is, but you're just feeling the general threat of it. And you essentially have three options, fight, flight, or freeze. Fight it, run away from it, or just like a deer in the headlights, just stand still, hope it doesn't notice you, just so you can go on about your business. And the problem with fight, flight, or freeze is think about how that goes in our relationships. Think about when, when our relationships are in high anxiety modes, that if all your conflict or tension is resolved either through fighting, flighting, or freezing, some of you know exactly what this looks like. Like if you've been married for like a couple months, you've probably watched yourself and or your partner demonstrate one, if not all three of these different things when you get into conflicts. And that's a symptom of the reality that there, it's just an anxious moment. There's anxiety going on inside of them and, uh, and it's just sent them down into the lower brain and they're not able to rationally think about, is this helping or hurting? They're not able to think about, is this the best thing for my relationship long-term? All they're thinking about is how do I survive this moment? How do I survive whatever real or imagined perceived threat or the general sense of threat that I'm feeling right now? And when people get locked into anxiety, it locks them into their lower brain and they become what, uh, what the psychological literature would describe as emotional. Now, what I don't mean as emotional is just all the feelings. They're just happy and they're sad and whatever else. I mean, what I mean by emotional is they just simply become automatically reactive. That when we become anxious, it means that we are just on autopilot. So we're not thinking about what we're saying or what we're doing. It's just coming out of us. So one of the ways I know with my wife that I'm I'm in an anxious place or that we are in, a, in an anxious place in our relationship is when we're having a conversation and I'm not even listening to what she's saying. I'm just thinking of my response while she's talking and sometimes blurting out and interrupting her before she's even done. Now, I think pretty much every relationship that's lasted any significant amount of time knows that exact same thing. That 
is us is one symptom of anxiety because literally my brain isn't taking in all the information of what's being spoken to me right there. It's just zero down and I'm trying to figure out how do I win this argument? How do I avoid this argument? Or just do I sit still in the headlights and just kind of let the barrage of words come over me until they get tired of saying them and then I can move on? All three of those options are only going to delay the actual problem going on. Anxiety is really awesome when it's helping you escape uh, a dangerous predator. It's really great when a car cuts you off in traffic and you have to make an immediate response to save yourself and those in your car. It's really great in very serious and immediate moments where you have to make sudden, in almost involuntary reactional decisions about how to uh, survive, essentially. It's really poor when anxiety starts taking over more than those just situational moments and starts then dictating how you relate to God and others. Now, I think you could understand why this is such an important conversation to have in our culture right now. All the signs and the symptoms are showing that anxiety is actually quite quite pandemic, and it's probably the real pandemic. There's all kinds of other serious ones, including this virus. I'm not trying to negate its significance or importance whatsoever. But the real threat behind this threat is the anxiety of our culture that sometimes can lead us into making decisions that are not actually helpful or wise. And so the classic example going on in America right now, it's becoming its own sort of a joke and internet meme as we speak. But as people started to first catch wind of the seriousness of this virus and to start receiving governmental instructions about self-quarantine or social distancing or whatever it was, it's fascinating. Anxiety kicked in. I think the creativity and thoughtfulness went down. And what did people just start react and start doing? Well, they went to the stores and went started buying stuff, but what did they buy? They started buying toilet paper. Now, toilet paper doesn't protect you from this disease. Toilet paper, actually, if, if, uh, if things really did go into low supply shortage mode, toilet paper, if you actually think about it, I know it's not pleasant, but it's actually something you can live without. In fact, many places in the world today don't even use toilet paper. They've got other methods to handle that situation. Don't want to go into details. I think we're done with that. <laughs> But the idea of stocking up on toilet paper, even if you are locked, like that that would be your impulse versus think about all the other things that if this threat was that serious and imminent would actually be more helpful. And think even bigger than that. Think even bigger than that. That the anxiety of the few that begin to hoard are what's going to create supply and shortage problems that are going to ensure that some people, if not most people, are going to be left out. Anxiety doesn't always lead us to the best solutions. They can be well-intentioned. They can even be sort of quick fix, immediate relief sorts of things. But they don't necessarily provide us the actual long-term solution that may be required in a situation. And this is going to intersect across all of our personal lives and cause us to consider, are we accessing our full mindful, spirit-filled, thinking faculties 
or are we operating more so out of fear? One of the things that uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Edwin Friedman. And my favorite book of his that he's written is Failure of Nerve. And um, he talks about how anxiety is infectious, it's contagious, that we experience it on individual levels, we experience it on interpersonal levels, we experience it within our own families. Some of you know what it's like to be in a family where um, it's, it's very laced with anxiety. It's almost like everything is just gasoline soaked. And so small circumstances, small um, setbacks, small hardships can cause big reactions that you'll notice that people can just be very emotionally reactive to one another, not necessarily thoughtfully thinking in the ways that they communicate or resolve conflict, but you just see them go back to the same old patterns again and again and again, because again, they're locked in to that anxious pattern that is actually inhibiting them from thinking with the fullness of their mental capacity. And one of the things that Edwin Friedman and a lot of other thinkers like him have postulated is simply the idea that anxiety is contagious. And unless there are people that are willing up to stand with a non-anxious presence, that anxiety can just go and go and go and go and spread. And it diminishes a group's, a country's, even a, a world's ability to solve its problems with all the best resources and all the best creativity and all the best thoughtfulness that it might have. And now all of a sudden it shrinks our worlds into thinking exclusively about self-preservation, uh, thinking about how to find a quick fix, a right now solution. Who can I blame for the problem? Who can, uh, who can be the villain of this whole scenario? And all, this is all that anxiety ever does. I'm going to talk a lot more about some of those symptoms in a later podcast. And it, it can grow and it can grow and it can grow. And so anxiety alone won't be a dangerous thing within a system necessarily. But how we respond to it, whether we give into it, whether we pour gasoline on it, whether we infect other people with it, or whether we... When we feel anxiety, learn to manage it. All of this is what's going to determine like how we are able to arrive to what I would describe as the totally mind and heart transcending peace of God. You're never going to escape anxiety in the world that we're in completely, but you can allow anxiety to lead you to God and his peace and to be able to find a non-anxious presence. Again, that's not pretending the problem isn't there. That's not apathy. That's just saying, I'm not going to automatically emotionally react to a situation. I'm not gonna run out and buy toilet paper just because everyone else is. I'm gonna think thoughtfully, what do I actually need? What is the actual best response? What is the right thing to post to Facebook right now? And it's often the counterintuitive thing that an anxious world is not doing. I think this idea of anxiety is incredibly important to talk about. It's incredibly helpful. What's not helpful is just talking about it in such vague and general terms that we're helpless victims to it with no ability to manage it or to rise above it. But once we see that we all have a responsibility, no matter how anxious our global interconnected world is, 
we can absolutely, and I believe this is the hope of the gospel, because God is a very non-anxious presence. He is wisdom in any given moment. He says he'll give it liberally to anyone that asks, and his presence is peace. Jesus even said that, my peace I leave with you. In this world, you'll have trouble, but also you'll have me. It's the whole, it's the whole line of thought for Jesus. And when you possess Jesus, this beautiful, peaceful, non-anxious presence, who isn't blind to all the crud going on in your life or in the world, but is taking all of it into account and yet knows how to best lead you through it, knows how to be with you in it, knows how to not just go for immediate relief, but how to actually stay in the midst of difficult or painful situations to actually arrive at holistic long-term solutions. Um, he knows how to quiet you, to sit still, to receive the shot that you just want to run away from. You know, He knows how to still you in the midst of the current of the river that feels like it's pulling you under because he's, he's allowing you to trust him that eventually it's going to spit you back out. Um, this is all possible through the good news of Jesus. So those are my basic thoughts to get the conversation around anxiety started. It's not where the conversation needs to end, but at least introduces a general category for us. That anxiety is that emotional automatic reaction. It sends us into our lower brains into fight, flight, or freeze. It can be acute. It can be chronic. It's very infectious and contagious. Um, and it uh, is something that we're seeing on a global level now, although we experience it on very personal and interpersonal levels for sure in our lives. You guys, these ideas aren't my own. There's a lot of great books you can read um, about this sort of topic, and I'm going to go a little bit further to unpack how we manage this, how we become a non-anxious presence, what that looks like, the symptoms of anxiety so that we can recognize it earlier when it creeps up into our lives. I'm going to talk about all that, and I think it's going to be really helpful for you. If you wouldn't mind helping me share uh, this podcast, if you know people that would really benefit from it, uh, please do so. That would be really amazing. I'd appreciate it, you guys. Thanks so much for listening to Church in the Wild. I, uh, yeah, I will see you guys later.